This episode deals with a crime committed against a child. Please exercise self-care when choosing to listen. Just after lunchtime, on a Tuesday afternoon in April 1969, 13-year-old schoolgirl April Fab set off on a bicycle from her home in the tiny hamlet of Metton to the neighbouring village of Roughton. Both communities lie in the East Anglian county of Norfolk, England, with the nearest town to Metton, Cromer, being five kilometres away, and the city of Norwich, around 30 kilometres south. The largely flat local landscape is ideally suited for cycling, and the trip wasn't particularly arduous, and it shouldn't have taken long. April was travelling light, carrying only a box of cigarettes, a few coins and a handkerchief in her saddlebag. The cigarettes were the reason for her little excursion, as it had recently been her brother-in-law's birthday, and they were a present for him. On her travels she was seen by a couple of witnesses, with the last confirmed sighting being at 2.06pm, when a farmer saw April cycling along Roughton Road, in the direction of Roughton. April never made it to her sister's house, and to this day her whereabouts are unknown. Persons Unknown is a true crime podcast dedicated to unsolved murders and disappearances. The podcast is based in Wales, UK, and covers cases from Wales, the rest of the UK, and the wider world. New episodes are released every other Monday. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Persons Unknown Podcast. For a list of sources, please see the episode notes on your app. If you enjoy the podcast, please give us a review and you can help others get to hear about Persons Unknown by sharing and recommending on social media. Thank you so much for listening. Now back to this week's case. April Fab lived in Council House No. 3 in the village of Matton with her father Ernest her mother Olive, and an older sister. The village is really more of a hamlet, with only 57 people living there. Another sister had already moved out to the family home, and was married. This was the sister April was visiting, on the day she disappeared. April is said to have been a shy girl, a few words, and was described as timid by some who knew her. She was quiet but full of life, and interested in many of the typical hobbies and pastimes of the period. She collected stamps, embroidered, and loved listening to pop music. She had a special interest in animals, and adored her small terrier Trudy. The pair were inseparable. April was happy at home, and at school, and had her whole life ahead of her. She certainly didn't seem like a young person who had cause to run away from home, or to escape something in her life. By the early evening, Olive and Ernest were very concerned about April, as she hadn't returned home or been heard from in hours. 
Trying to work out exactly what was going on was difficult for April's parents, as neither they nor their eldest daughter had a telephone. Olive's only option was to cycle herself to her eldest daughter's house to see if April was there. Eventually, she was able to confirm that April had never reached her sister's home in Roughton. While cycling back home, Olive met her husband Ernest, who began calling on friends of April and the local hospital to try to locate his daughter. After a fruitless search, they were able to find a phone and called the police at 10pm. It was the 8th of April, 1969, and the lives of the Fab family would never be the same again. By the next morning, a full-scale search of the local countryside, together with house-to-house inquiries, was underway. The family confirmed what April had been wearing when she left on her bicycle. She was dressed in a wine-coloured woolen skirt, a green jumper, long white socks and brown sandals with red straps and brass buckles. The description was circulated far and wide. Over 120 people joined the biggest search operation that Norfolk had ever seen. Everyone in the local area seemed to be coming forward to offer their assistance. A nearby RAF base provided lorries and a local amateur radio club volunteered to help coordinate the search parties with mobile radio cars. Through their inquiries with the family and in the local community, the police were able to put together a timeline of events for the day April went missing. At 9.20am, Olive Fab went to work at the village rectory, which is across the street from the Fab house. April was still in bed asleep when her mother left the house. Around 10.10am, Olive returned to the house for a few minutes to pick up some cleaning equipment for work and found April up and dressed for the day. She was wearing a green jumper and brown trousers. Olive went back to work and returned once more to the house after she had finished, a little later than usual as she had some extra cleaning to do that day. April came back from walking her dog Trudy a couple of minutes after that. At 12.40pm, a friend of the family called around and gave April a note from her daughter which cancelled their proposed shopping trip. April was really disappointed and the bad news made her tear up. The family friend gave April the ten cigarettes so she could give them as a present to her brother-in-law. His birthday had been the previous Sunday and April had brought him sweets but had eaten them all herself. Olive suggested to her daughter that she go down the road to the telephone box to ask another friend to go shopping with her on Saturday. Her mother said she returned in minutes so assumed she had used a bicycle. She came back happy as the friend she had called agreed to go with her on Saturday. April was bored hanging around the house and her mother suggested that she take the cigarettes over to her brother-in-law. April ran upstairs and changed into the skirt. Between 1.35 and 1.40pm, April left the house on her blue bicycle. Only 180 metres or so down the road, she stopped at Donkey Field to chat to two 12-year-old friends. They petted a donkey named Judy and walked and chatted together for a little while. April didn't stay long, 
and told her friends she was going to continue on her way to her sister's house in Roughton. At six minutes past two, a local farmer driving a tractor and a few other people who he was with saw April peddling along Roughton Road about 180 metres away from Donkey Field and in the direction of Roughton. This is the last confirmed sighting of April. At 2.15pm, three Ordnance survey workers in a van passed a bike lying in a field by the side of the road. This was about 130 metres away from where the tractor driver spotted April. The workers didn't think much of it and carried on driving. In that window of just nine minutes, April vanished, seemingly without a trace. At 3.30pm, a local man brought April's blue bicycle into the police station. He had been driving past when his mother, who was sitting in the passenger seat, spotted the bike. PC Derek Chittuk took it in, assuming that it had been stolen. The significance of the bike was obviously not apparent to him at the time, and only became clear later that evening. Back at the Fab residence, Olive assumed that April had stayed at her sister's house for tea. By 7pm she was getting worried, and at 8.30 she cycled over to Routon to find April. We have already covered the rest of that evening's sequence of events, culminating in the phone call to police. Whilst piecing together the timeline of Tuesday the 8th of April was important, it did not shed much light on what had happened and where April was now. The position of a bicycle did make the police and her family suspect someone had taken her. The bicycle couldn't have been wheeled to its location and was most likely thrown from the road over a small embankment and into the field. The arrival of Detective Reginald Lester, the top investigator in the county of Norfolk, signalled that police suspected April had been abducted. The police were willing to try anything that might help find April. Local children were shown a home movie that had been made during a previous summer school residential, in which April was one of the main parts. The hope was that the more exposure they could create, the better. A couple of local schoolboys were called upon to help with the investigation, as they had been out in Matten playing a game by the side of the road on the afternoon April disappeared. Part of the game entailed taking down number plates from the cars that passed through the village. In the first few days of the search, some potential clues were found. A bloody handkerchief with the letter A embroidered on it was found close to where April went missing. Two witnesses came to police from the village of Roughton to say they heard a scream late in the evening on the day April vanished. They were convinced it was a human scream and not a noise made by an animal. The police were looking to speak to a man who was seen near where April was last spotted. He was in a stationary light brown coloured Ford console or Vauxhall Crester. He was lying across the front seats with his feet sticking out of the open door. Police were also seeking two young men who were driving a black van near the spot where April was last seen. They were also keen to find a red Mini with the new style number plates, an unfamiliar grey car spotted in Metten, and a black Morris car 
said to have been driven in a haphazard manner through the village. Bus and railway ticket salespeople, as well as hotel and cafe staff, were asked if anyone fitting April's description had been seen. Reports did come in of a teenage girl being seen boarding a train to Norwich on the day April disappeared, which gave the family hope that April's vanishing may not be sinister as they had feared, and they appealed in the press for her to return home. Other sightings followed, including a girl matching her description near a newsagent's in Blackwater, Hampshire, on the A30 road. None of these sightings came to anything, a teenage girl came forward to police, saying she thought she was the girl seen at the train station in Norwich. She did indeed bear a striking resemblance to April, so that seemed to put an end to that line of inquiry. The two young men seen in the black van also came forward, and after interviews with police they were completely cleared. It turned out the bloody handkerchief had an innocent explanation. It was used by a parent to wipe the grey's knee of their child. An older married couple was spoken to by police, as they were sitting in a parked car near the field where the bicycle was discovered, around the time April disappeared. Unfortunately, they said they had seen nothing suspicious, though they admitted they may have been napping in the car at the crucial time. Over the remainder of 1969, Almost 2,000 statements were taken and over 400 houses were visited, but no trace of April was found. The number plates collected by the boys were checked, but the cars they most wanted to find were not on their list. The identities of the drivers of the red Mini and the grey car were not discovered. The driver of the Black Morris was found. More details about that will come later. The man seen relaxing in the light brown car was never traced, and his identity remains a mystery. Five months after April's disappearance, another child vanished from a village just 30 kilometres away from Matten. 11-year-old Stephen Ewing was last seen at 3pm in Lee Warner Avenue, Fakenham, on the 2nd of September 1969. Stephen had been playing with a friend and his brother. He had no money with him, and he left his bicycle at home. There were a few sightings of him at the time, but they came to nothing, and Stephen has not been seen since. There is local speculation that Stephen fell into a well, but Norfolk and Suffolk cold case manager Andy Guy said in 2019 that this theory had been thoroughly investigated to no avail. On the 11th of March 1970, the body of 18-year-old Susan Long was found early in the morning by a milkman in Aylsham, Norfolk. She had been sexually assaulted and strangled. On the previous evening, she had taken a bus to the city of Norwich to spend the evening at a dance with her boyfriend. After her night out, she returned on the bus and fellow passengers said she alighted at Aylsham Market. Her body was found two and a half kilometres away, on the Burr Road. Police believe she may have got there by car, and friends and family said they didn't think Susan would have accepted a lift from a stranger. A forensic investigation of the scene 
led to the retrieval of semen, and from this investigators were able to tell that the killer had a rare blood type. Local men were subsequently tested to see if any matched this blood type. Tiny flecks of car paint were found on Susan's clothing, and through forensic analysis, they were deemed to have come from a car that was once blue and had been repainted a marine colour. None of these clues led to the offender. Since 2003, DNA from the semen recovered from the scene has been analysed and periodically checked against databases. No match has been found and the crime is still unsolved. It is not known if these cases are connected, but for this to happen to three young people within the space of a year in a quiet, rural part of the country is unusual. Another disappearance took place almost a decade later, in 1978, which is eerily similar to that of April Fab. This happened in another quiet and rural part of the country. Jeanette Tate, or Ginny, as she was affectionately called by friends and family, lived in the village of Aylesbier in Devon. Jeanette's parents had divorced, so the 13-year-old lived with her father John, his second wife, and her teenage daughter. August the 19th, 1978, was a Saturday, and it was Jeanette's last day covering for a friend's paper round. She set off from her house on her blue bicycle at around 2 o'clock to collect papers from the van drop-off point on the main A road a short distance away. She picked up the papers and returned to the village, down Withen Lane. As she was cycling, she bumped into two friends and stopped for a chat. Jeanette then decided to cycle on towards the village. Her friends watched her ride about 50 metres before a bend in the road obscured their view. This was the last time anyone saw Jeanette. A few minutes later, her two friends came upon her bicycle, lying in the road with the newspapers lying strewn on the ground, and no sign of Jeanette. Later that day, the police were called, and the biggest search in the history of the Devon and Cornwall police was underway. As in the case of April, leads were hard to come by, but police were working on the assumption that Jeanette had been abducted and taken from the area by car or van. A single clue came from two witnesses, a mother and daughter, who were staying in a holiday rental cottage on Withen Lane. They said they had been walking up the lane and passed Jeanette chatting with her friends. At that moment, a young, smartly dressed man with dark hair passed them in a maroon car. One of the witnesses, when under hypnosis, a tool used by investigators to help aid a witness's memory, refined her description of the car to something like a Triumph 1300. This information bore no fruit, and, as with April's investigation, the case went cold. Decades later, a suspect did rise to prominence in Jeanette's case, and he was only weeks away from being prosecuted for her abduction and murder before he passed away in prison in 2016. More about him shortly. Jeanette and April's stories are so similar that it has prompted many to suspect they could be related. 
we will now turn our attention to exploring the theories and potential suspects in the case of April Fab. There were some local rumours at the time of April's disappearance, hinting that she was a runaway, but the police and family never bought into that line of argument. Speaking in 2019, cold case manager Andy Guy said he believes there are only two possibilities. Either April was abducted by someone who was passing through the area and then taken outside the region, or April was abducted by a local person known to her and they have been able to remain undetected in that community for decades. I have found one source, a true crime blog by David Hardy, suggesting that the man seen driving erratically in the black Morris car was identified and briefly considered a suspect. I believe this was a local person. Following inquiries, he was eliminated as a suspect, though some local people disagreed with the police assessment. Some locals believe that April was murdered and her body was buried at the Bacton Gas Terminal construction works. Police maintain they have checked this location thoroughly and have found no evidence to back up this theory. In 1997, RAF planes were used to check for ground disturbances near to the village of Metton. Thermal imaging cameras were used to look for possible burial sites. Unfortunately, this proved fruitless. Tips regarding a local connection to the crime continued into the noughties and beyond. In 2010, a well near Metton was searched as someone reported seeing a black polythene sheet at the bottom of it in the days following April's disappearance. The following year, another piece of information came to police, stating that a person was seen digging what looked like a grave on Easter weekend 1969, which was just a couple of days before April vanished. Searches were made of both these locations, but nothing was found. It is unknown why it took so long for both of these pieces of information to be reported. One can only speculate. Perhaps the witnesses were very young at the time and didn't recognise the potential significance of what they saw. There is a potential suspect that has been linked to this crime since the mid-1990s. In the eyes of many, including former intelligence officer and cold case expert Chris Clark, Scottish-born serial killer Robert Black is most likely responsible for April's abduction and her murder. Persons Unknown came across cold case investigator Chris Clark in episode 2, Treveline Evans, and covered his theory about the potential involvement of Christopher Halliwell in that case. Robert Black was convicted of killing four gills aged 5 to 11 between 1981 and 1986. He was convicted for the murders of Susan Maxwell, Caroline Hogg and Sarah Harper in 1994 and the murder of Jennifer Cardi in 2011. In 1994, Black was already in prison serving a life sentence for the abduction and sexual assault of a six-year-old girl in 1990. Black was apprehended as a neighbour of the girl witnessed Black grab her from the street and bundle her into his van. The police, 
including the father of the girl, who was a serving officer, were able to catch up with the van and capture Black. Once he was behind bars, he was investigated for other missing or murdered children from around the country. This eventually led to the 1994 and 2011 convictions. Police are sure that Black has more victims and have suggested he could be responsible for 17 murders from across Europe. His job as a delivery driver gave him the opportunity to travel across the UK, Ireland and mainland Europe. Black's abduction method was to take children from the street in small towns. He would pass through areas quickly, leaving no trace and dispose of the bodies of his victims dozens or even hundreds of kilometres away from their homes. Black died in prison in 2016, but police have confirmed they were only five weeks away from charging him with the murder of Jeanette Tate. Jeanette is the girl who disappeared in 1978 whilst delivering newspapers on her bike in Aylesbury, Devon. During interviews with police, he had talked in the third person about Jeanette's abduction and what the assailant may have done. Black was notoriously tight-lipped about his crimes and denied involvement in other murders he was questioned over, including April Fabs. He did admit to murdering a girl when he was a teenager in Greenock, Scotland, but investigators could find no evidence of the crime. This could well have been the serial killer playing mind games with the police. Cold case investigator Chris Clark says that a police informant, who was a one-time drinking friend of Black, said he had boasted about being responsible for several unsolved murders and disappearances of girls and women, including April Fab. The informant was sickened by these admissions and notified police. Clark also says there is evidence that Black was in the Norfolk area at the time of April's disappearance and says the key to cracking the case could be a photograph of Black as a young man. The photo was taken near the time of April's disappearance when Black was 22. He looks very different in the photograph compared to the picture of him as a bearded, balding 47-year-old that is more often seen. Clark hopes that this photograph may jog someone's memory as Black had very distinct and piercing eyes and this could link him to the local area. There is no suspect sketch in the April Fab case but there was a police sketch of the man driving the marine car in the Jeanette Tate case. I have to say that the sketch does bear a resemblance to the young Robert Black, particularly the eyes. By the time of April's disappearance, Black was already a convicted sex offender. He had been convicted of abducting and assaulting a child in 1967. He served very little time for this despicable act, despite nearly killing the girl. Unbelievably, a psychologist's assessment stated that the incident had been an aberration and Black was unlikely to re-offend. Chris Clark makes the point that the first murder he was convicted of occurred in 1981 and it's unlikely that a predator such as Black would go that long without re-offending. Norfolk's cold case manager Andy Guy does not believe that Robert Black was involved 
and says there is no evidence he was in the area at the time as he lived in London. Crucially, Black did not have a driver's licence until the mid-1970s. Chris Clark disagrees and says he has found proof that Black was driving vans from the 1960s without a licence. Opinion is very much divided over Robert Black's involvement. Despite his death, there's still the chance that a piece of evidence could arise definitively linking him to the area at the time. In 1994, newspaper reports suggested that valuable evidence and paperwork regarding Black's possible links to other murders had been destroyed in error. This evidence included petrol receipts and pay slips that could confirm Black's movements around the country and further afield. The police denied this had happened, and some evidence must still exist, as Black's conviction for Jennifer Cardi's murder in 2011 was built around petrol receipts, which connected him to the location and time of Jennifer's abduction and murder in Northern Ireland. One can only wonder if some vital information was lost that could tie him to Norfolk in April 1969. There is another Scottish serial killer who should also be considered as a potential suspect. Peter Tobin is currently serving a life sentence for the murder of two women and a teenager, though it is highly likely that he has other victims. After Tobin was arrested for the murder of 23-year-old Polish student Angelica Kluck in Glasgow 2006, a previous residence of his was searched in Margate, Kent, and two further bodies were found. They were Vicky Hamilton, who disappeared in 1991 when she was 15, and Dinah McNichol, 18, who also vanished in 1991. Tobin had previously served time in prison for the abduction and sexual assault of two 14-year-olds. He seemed to evade detection for so long as he used numerous names and often found refuge in religious communities where he would volunteer. Tobin was 60 at the time of his arrest in 2006 and police think it likely he had been killing since his late teens or early 20s. Peter Tobin has been connected to dozens of unsolved murders and disappearances around the country, but we will focus on those pertinent to the case of April Fab. Pamela Axel disappeared from a beach whilst on holiday in Norfolk in 1974. Police at the time of the original investigation didn't know if Pamela had drowned or been abducted, as no trace of her was ever found. After Tobin was behind bars, jewellery that was found in his house was displayed on the television programme Crime Watch to see if people recognised the pieces, possibly identifying more victims. Some people thought some of the jewellery looked like the kind worn by Pamela. Tobin has also been linked to the murder of Susan Long, mentioned earlier in this episode. Though it must be said, Tobin's DNA has been compared to that found at the scene, and was not a match. Another reason Tobin is definitely worth looking into in terms of April's disappearance is that apparently Norfolk was a favourite holiday destination of his. Much like Black, Peter Tobin has remained tight-lipped about his crimes and has given very little away. 
However, this has changed recently, as he has been in poor health, and fellow inmates have said that he has been talking about some of his other crimes. Jane Hamilton, writing in the Daily Record in March 2021, said that Tobin has talked to other prisoners about the long-standing rumours that he is the notorious and unidentified serial killer Bible John, who murdered three women in the late 1960s in Glasgow, Scotland. The name Bible John was given to this killer as the man purported to be him was heard quoting scripture by witnesses on at least two occasions. Whilst talking to prison mates, Tobin has finally confronted the accusation, saying it isn't him, but he has allegedly owned up to a total of ten murders. Perhaps he will let something slip that might shed light on some of these unsolved cases, including April's. The truth is, no suspect has ever been officially named in the investigation into April Fab's disappearance, and the two people we have discussed have nothing firmly placing them at the scene at Meta Norfolk when she went missing. I came across one newspaper article from the Birmingham Post in January 1979, which reports that a 59-year-old was being questioned for the rape of a six-year-old girl in Yorkshire on the 6th of January that year. The man was said to be being held at a police station in Leicester and was a company director with a family. The man was questioned about at least 20 other sex attacks from across England and Wales. Police were following up on reports that a man was impersonating a police officer and persuading children to get into his car. The article also says the man was quizzed about three specific disappearances, April Fab, Jeanette Tate and a nine-year-old girl, Christine Markham from Scunthorpe. Christine vanished on her way to school in May 1973 and is still missing, presumed dead. Whoever this man was, he was obviously not charged in relation to the three girls I have named and I cannot find information on whether he was charged or convicted of the sexual assault of the six-year-old as no names are given. The April Fab case is disturbing for so many reasons. The number of similar disappearances of young girls and women from around the country during the 1960s, 70s and into the 80s is frightening. In a period before CCTV and mobile phones, it appears it was surprisingly easy to move around the country committing crimes without detection. My gut says that April was probably taken by someone who was a stranger to her and then taken out of the area and murdered. It could well have been at the hands of someone who ended up in prison for another crime, like Robert Black or Peter Tobin. But one wonders whether the perpetrator is someone who has flown under the radar and perhaps hidden in plain sight. All the information we have about serial killers is based on the ones that got caught, and I do wonder whether in this case we could be dealing with a serial killer we don't even know exists because his crimes have not been formally linked together. I'm still optimistic that what happened to April will be uncovered, and there is still time for people to come forward with information and new leads. Both April's parents have now passed, but her sisters are still living in Norfolk, 
and I believe are still kept in the loop with any developments in the case. If you have any tips or information that could be useful in this case, you can email unsolvedcasereviews at norfolk.pnn.police.uk or call Crime Stoppers anonymously on 0800 555 111.